Let's go to Numbers 11. Numbers 11. Some of those precious gifts that God has given to me over the years has been when he said no. I didn't always see that when it happened, but I am very thankful that I serve a God that's not afraid to tell me no. Some parents have a hard time with that. I confess to you, of the two of us, I struggle with that more than my wife does. It's been said my wife has the gift of no, the spiritual gift of no. She's very good at it, and she has all kinds of creative ways of saying it. Um, One of the most uh, dishonest ways is I'll think about it or we'll see. Now, Claire understands that means no. Asher hasn't figured that out yet. Yes, she's going to think about it. And I'm like, son, don't get your hopes up. That's, that's, That's not how she operates. She has ways of telling me no. I want to buy something. I'm pretty sure I got a coupon. That's her way of saying, I'm going to run the clock out until you forget about this. She's telling me no. Do you understand as Christians, when we pray, we are called upon to pray within the will of God. God intends for us to pray within his will. Prayer is not nearly so much about bending God's will to ours. It's about bending our will to God's. First John 5.14, we read this passage as our, our opening scripture. First John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. When Jesus is teaching the model prayer in Matthew 6, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But even the most seasoned Christian can be notoriously bad at praying consistently and completely within God's will. Because honestly, we want what we want, don't we? And that's just part of our flesh. That's part of being in in, in a sin-cursed environment. We want what we want, and so we sometimes struggle with really praying within God's will. By the way, we've talked about this recently. He has something in place, or more accurately, someone in place to help us with that. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When we don't pray as we should, the Holy Ghost takes over and prays for us as we should be praying. Now let me say this. Knowingly praying outside the will of God can be nothing else but rebellion. If you're praying for something that you know is wrong, stop. Stop. If somebody came to me and some, some lady came to me and said, Pastor, I, I need counsel. Okay, what can I do for you? I, 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 believe, I believe that God has, has brought the man of my dreams into my life. And would you pray with me that God would put this thing together? Okay, who is it? Well, it's Brother Davies. Well, I got news for you. It ain't God's will. How do you know? Because God never contradicts his word. And that fellow's already married. And not only that, she'll kill you. 
we would never knowingly pray against God's will, although some do. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, Lord, just kill him, right? And he's not going to do that, and that's not praying according to his will. But a lot of times we'll pray innocently, but we've not put forth the proper effort to discern what God's will may or may not be. And so, could I put it this way? We're, we're, praying, in a, we're praying in an undisciplined way. At the very least, we should be submissive to His will as it's revealed and prepared to give over to God's will once it is discerned. Now, now what, what am I setting you up for? Over the next three Sunday mornings, this, this started out as one message. He knows because he helped me with it. It started out as one message, but over the next three Sunday mornings, we're going to look at three examples of God's people, God's people, not lost people, God's people begging and even demanding an answer to a prayer that they should have known better. They should have known it was outside of God's will. God allowed them to have what they requested, and they and others paid a heavy price for it. Now, what's really interesting about this, what are the three, what are the three enemies that we deal with as Christians? The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? These three examples... Next week, we're going to look at the Israelites under Samuel... They wanted, they wanted a king. They demanded a king. Was that God's will for them? It was not. But they insisted. Why? Because the world around them used that model. You see, the world. Then, after that, the week after, we're going to talk about Hezekiah. You remember God told Hezekiah, time to die. Set your house in order. That's a tough message, but it's pretty, cl- pretty clear, pretty blunt. You're, you're done, Hezekiah. You're finished. And what did he do? He prayed for more time. Did God give him more time? He did. He gave him 15 more years. But what happened in those 15 years? He lacked purpose. He, he lacked the willingness to be used of God in the way he once had. And what earmarks those last 15 years is that Babylon came in with an emissary. Oh, we heard you've been sick. We've come to bring a present. Nebuchadnezzar sends his greetings. But why were they really there? To scope the place out. And and like an idiot, forgive me, let me use the Greek word, moron. (laughs) What did he do? Hey, let me show you around. When somebody comes to my door, I'm just naturally... If if they're looking in my door, it's a beautiful home you've got. Yes, the Lord's been very good to us. I've got quite a sizable gun collection too. Stop looking in my door. (laughs) But he showed them around. So what's that have to do with the devil? What's the devil doing? He's looking for an inroad to come in and lay waste to our people. See? So we'll talk about that week after next. But today, we're starting with the wandering Israelites. They've not long been in the desert. In fact, they've not yet made their terrible mistake that led to their 40 years of wandering. But they're already sick of manna. 
manna, bread from heaven that's round, sweet, light in color, melts. Tell me that's not a Krispy Kreme donut. (laughs) I love Krispy Kreme donuts fresh off the belt. I'm like that one guy that said, I just want to lay on that belt and go under that that glaze. (laughs) Obviously, I do like Krispy Kreme. No, I like manna. I like manna, y'all. Let's make it spiritual. But you know what? I would imagine at some point, Maybe. I've never really tried. Maybe I'd get tired of them. It'd take a lot. But I'd maybe get tired of them at some point. So what they do? They started to complain, and they started demanding, and they started asking God for something else. They wanted meat instead of manna. So while the Israelites under Samuel demanding a king speaks to the world, And Hezekiah, requesting more time, invites in the devil. What does this speak to? The flesh. Interesting how that all works out, isn't it? In each of these messages, we're going to endeavor to use the same approach. It's going to be the same outline every week. So you only need to take notes once. Okay? The same same outline every week. We're talking about when wrong requests are granted. Because does God sometimes grant requests knowing they're not what's best for us? He does. Sometimes he lets us fail. How many of you as parents have done that with your kids? I want this, I want this, I want this. It's not what's best for you. But I want it, I want it, I want it. Okay. Okay. I really really want to play with that bumblebee. Not, Not the best idea. I really want to. Go ahead. You'll learn, right? I, I really want to I really want to try that new soft drink. Look, I've already had it. It's terrible. No, I'm going to love it. All right, go ahead. Sometimes God grants requests that we make that are wrong. See, and we're talking this morning about feeding the flesh. We're talking about feeding the flesh. These Israelites have not yet manifested the great sin of unbelief that would leave an entire generation dead in the sands after wandering for 40 years, but already they're manifesting a murmuring spirit that would be their undoing. And we're going to have the same outline. We're going to ask four questions regarding these requests. What was it? What was the request? What was wrong with the request? What contributed to the request? And what resulted from the request? Every week we're going to look at it from that perspective. So let's start with this one. Father, help us, I pray. Speak to our hearts. Help me to rightly divide your word of truth and be helped to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about feeding the flesh. We're in Numbers chapter 11. You may want to bookmark or you put your finger at Psalm 106 because the psalmist has something to say about this as well. Feeding the flesh. Feeding the flesh. Numbers chapter 11 is where we'll begin. First of all, what was the request? What are they asking for? They've had manna for a while now, and they like some meat. And and at first blush, this request does not seem too unreasonable, does it? Be careful when you read the Bible and think, eh, that's not so bad. If God says it's bad, it's bad, and there's a reason it's bad. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Like I said, I love, I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I really do. And I would imagine that, that if I was on a steady diet of Krispy Kreme donuts, at some point I really wouldn't mind having some brisket. I had some yesterday. 
We left the archery tournament early because Crystal worked the night before and had not slept yet. And so I knew that it was, it was in everybody's best interest, especially my own, to get her home, get her to sleep. But on the way, she said, I'm kind of hungry. Well, we were right near Christiansburg. I said, let's go to Mission. Let's get some brisket. Can I just tell you, it was fantastic. Whew, I like brisket. It was really good. So I can see why they would want some meat. That doesn't seem too terribly unreasonable. So now we've got to ask the next question. All right, what was so wrong about that? What was wrong with what they were asking? Well, let's look at it. We're in Numbers chapter 11. First of all, it revealed ingratitude. There's nothing in this passage that tells us that they were at all thankful for what God had already provided. Here's the question I want to ask you. How often do we ask things of God with little to no regard of what he's already done for us? I need this, I need this, I need this, I want this, I want this, I want this. But we've not taken the time to thank him for what he's already done. Ingratitude. There was another problem with the request. Number two, first ingratitude, but then number two, idiocy. Look at verse 5. We're in Numbers chapter 11, verse number 5. Listen to what they say. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now, I like all of those things. But now is our soul dried away. What are they saying? The way we lived in Egypt was better than what we have now. And can I tell you, friend, I don't know any other way to look at that statement and to look at that mindset and say, that's idiocy. You were slaves. You were being beaten. You were being tortured. You were literally being worked to death. You were thought of as subhuman. When you, when you got ill, it didn't matter. You better show up. When you died, they didn't give you a funeral. They just threw your body in a, in a ditch somewhere. They didn't care about you. And you're going to tell me that what you had there is better than what God given you now. That's idiocy. And yet, Christian, what do we do? We look back on our days in the world, and Egypt is a type of the world, and we think to ourselves, man, I really did enjoy that. Man, that really was nice. Man, I really do miss that. And what we're saying is, I am not as satisfied with what God's doing in my my life right now than I was with what I had in the world. And that, friend, is idiocy. What's wrong with this request? Ingratitude? Idiocy? I'll tell you what else it displayed. It displayed ignorance. Look at verse 6. But now is our soul dried away, and there is nothing at all beside this manna. Before our eyes. Do you know what manna was? Manna was a superfood. Manna gave them every bit of the nourishment they needed. Manna was designed by God himself to be perfectly processed by their bodies, sinful though they might have been. Manna was the best possible thing they could be eating. 
And yet, what did they want? They had no clue about what they had. Why do they even call it manna? Because manna means literally, what is this? You ever done that at the dinner table? I hope not. It's all about the intonation, isn't it? There's a big difference between, hmm, what is this? And what is this? You better make sure your intonation is right. Okay. Or you're in trouble. What is it? They never really understood what they had. What they had was a perfect superfood. What kind of bread does God give us today that fully nourishes us spiritually? Well, I tell you, some of us would rather listen to the tripe of the world and ingest that because we frankly don't know what we have. It's a superfood, y'all. And that leads us to the fourth problem. What was wrong with their request? It displayed ingratitude, idiocy, ignorance. You know what else? It displayed idolatry. Because they elevated the passion of their flesh above the provision of the Father. What they wanted in their flesh was more important to them than what God was giving them. And we do that all the time, don't we? Hold your place here. Look at Psalm 106, verse 14. Psalm 106, verse 14, it says, But they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Anytime you elevate your lusts to the level of God's will, that is idolatry. So hopefully we've established, okay, we know what the request was, and we know what was wrong with the request. So now we want to know, well, how did they get to that point? What contributed to that? What made them ask for such a dumb thing to begin with? So that's the third question. What contributed to the request? Well, two things. One, associates. We're back in Numbers chapter 11. Look at verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Who were the mixed multitude? They were non-Hebrews, most of them Egyptians, who joined the Jews in the Exodus. They left when the Jews did. Why? They were more interested in escaping God's power than they were embracing God's power. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's say you live in Egypt, and you've just seen ten plagues come and go, and you've seen these Hebrews come out of it unscathed. There were flies all over my place, but over in Goshen, they didn't have one. There was darkness everywhere except in Goshen. Water couldn't be drunk here, but I'm going to tell you, they were drinking it in Goshen. 
So after that 10th plague and the firstborn are killed, you look over at Goshen and all of their children are safe and, and, and Pharaoh has said, just get out of here. Take what you want and go. And this mixed multitude said, hey, I'm scared of staying here because of what's coming next. So I'm going to go with them. I'm not embracing God's power. I'm trying to escape it. I want to be with them because I want to benefit from what they benefit from and avoid where my life is headed. And Christians, we've got people like that all around us in our churches, in our Christian schools, in our Christian universities. They're not interested in embracing the power of God in their lives. They're more interested in escaping whatever bad things they think they get away from by being there. And these people are not helpful as Christians. We're two Christians, really. It goes back to what we've been saying over and over again. It cannot be overstated. Be careful who your associates are. Where did this discontent come from amongst the Israelites? It came from the mixed multitude. They're the ones that were lusting. They're the ones that were unsatisfied, and it spread. Your kid starts getting a bad attitude. The very first thing you need to do is see who they've been hanging around. The very first thing. What contributed to such a request? Their associates. Then go back to Psalm 106. Hold your place in numbers. Go back to Psalm 106. Second contributor. Associates. And then amnesia. You ever get amnesia? I'm I'm there, y'all. I forget stuff all the time. My wife mentioned somebody in our church that was going to help her with something. And she called out her name, and I said, who? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she called the name again. I'm like, oh, I don't know where my mind went. I just for a moment forgot. Happens to me all the time in class. I've been with, some of these kids have been with me since I got here. Isaac will tell you, I have moments where I call on somebody in class, and I'm like, I know all about you. I know your parents' names. No idea what your name is in the moment. I might need to go see a doctor. But I'm not talking about little things like that. I'm talking about Christians getting to the point where they just forget God. He's just out of their mind. Look at, look at Psalm 106, verse number uh, 13. They soon forgot his works. You know what they forgot? They forgot God's strength. And then it says, they waited not for his counsel. They forgot God's sovereignty. And when you forget God's strength and you forget God's sovereignty, you start praying things you ought not pray. What was the request? Seemed reasonable. What was wrong with it? Ingratitude, idiocy, ignorance, idolatry. What contributed to that request? Associates and amnesia. And what resulted from the request? Two things. First of all, there was an immediate price. There was an immediate price. We're back in Numbers chapter 11. They want, they want meat. Verse 31. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp. 
And as it were, two cubits high upon the face of the earth. That means one of two things, and I confess I don't know which one it means, and I haven't had a chance to ask Brother Earl. Either the quail are flying three feet off the ground and easy to catch, or they land and they're they're piled three feet high. You're feeding two and a half million people. It could be either. You ever had quail? Anybody here like quail? I like quail, but you got to wrap it in bacon before I want it. But quail was meat. They wanted meat. God sent them meat. And then it says something interesting. It says verse 33. Oh, by the way, verse 32. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers. Ten homers are somewhere between 30 and 50 bushels. Somebody's hungry to gather all of that quail. Okay. Verse 33. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of God was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Now, it's important to understand something. This plague could be one of two things. It could be a direct act of God in which he actively kills them, but it could also be when God allows something. And it's possible that this plague was God allowing a natural consequence. Do you understand that sometimes when we make bad decisions, there are consequences that are not the active work of God? I remember back in the 80s, I heard preachers all the time, I'm going to tell you something, age is the judgment of God. No, it's not. It's not. These kind of diseases are the natural repercussions for, frankly, low living. Okay? It's what naturally happens. That's not judgment. We haven't seen God's judgment yet. We haven't seen God's judgment. So it's very possible that one of two things happened here. One is it says God sent them quail. But it didn't say how good the quail was. You ever got food poisoning? You want quail? All right. I'll send you quail. But I think something's more likely here. And I admit this is a little bit of speculation, but I think it's on good ground. If all you've eaten for the last year is manna, perfectly designed for your body, What do you think is going to happen when you introduce a foreign food to your system? You see, they weren't made for quail. They were made for manna. Can I tell you something, friend? You weren't made for the world's meat. You weren't made for the world's philosophies. You were made to thrive from the Word of God. And when you throw the Word of God to the side and you start bringing in stuff into your life that shouldn't be there, let me tell you what comes. A plague. An immediate price. You start feeding your kids with the world's philosophies, you'll kill them. You start feeding yourself with the world's philosophies, it'll kill you. There was an immediate 
price. And there's always a price to be paid when we reject the perfect food of God's word in favor of the poison fruit of our lusts. But then number two, there was an immediate price and then there was a long-term punishment. Go back to Psalm 106. Verse 15 And he gave them their request. Gave them what they asked for. But sent leanness into their soul. You know what that word leanness means? It literally means a wasting away. Never again would this generation from that point on, never again would they experience the fullness of the blessing of God. For the rest of their lives, which would only be 40 years after this, they would live beneath God's privilege for them. They would live lean. They would not be able to fully experience what he had for them. They would only waste away in the desert. And when we start asking for the wrong things, showing our ingratitude and our idiocy and our ignorance and our idolatry, when we're around the wrong associates and we have spiritual amnesia, let me tell you what happens. Yes, there's an immediate price, but there is also a long-term punishment in which we find ourselves living lean, not enjoying all that God had for us because of what we're asking for. So what? Okay, Andy, what do I do with this? As a general statement for us, we're either going to reject, we're either going to embrace the word that sustains our soul or we're going to reject it. And when we reject the word that sustains our soul and our spirit in favor of that which satisfies our flesh, we invite the chastening hand of God. And so when we go to pray... What informs your prayers? When you, when you kneel down before God and you start asking him for things, what informs your prayers? Is it his word or is it your lust? This is what I want, God. I, listen, this has not been fun for me. Everything that I ask God for in the matter of this ministry, you know what I have to sort through? Lord, is this what you want for our ministry, or is this something that I want for the wrong reasons? Now, as I, as I stand here before you, I really believe I want the Family Life Center for all the right reasons. I really do. But I have to constantly ask myself, Lord, is this about me building an empire? Is this about me building a legacy? Is this about something that I want because it makes my life easier to not have to find a gym to rent and all that? Lord, is this about what I want, or is this about what you want? And when people come to me and ask me to pray about a situation, pray for this person or whatever, the first thing I have to do is say, Lord, how do you want me to pray about this? When it comes to medical conditions, sometimes God's will is not to heal. It's not wrong to ask him for these things, but there comes a point that God starts telling you through his word and through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, this is how I want you to pray. And are we, are we solid enough in our beliefs to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to ask you to do what you want to do, even if it's not what I want done. You see, that's a sign of real spiritual maturity. And if we're going to move forward for Christ and we're going to have revival here, we've got to stop telling God what we want and start saying, Lord, I need to know what you want. 
easy preaching, hard living, but so needed. So for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at these times where people ask God for things and they weren't his will. And it's my hope and my prayer that God would help us to learn to pray for what he wants.